0: Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slanner Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. We got a lot to talk about, a lot to debrief on. Uh not only the Democratic Convention, uh, but but this further highlights some of the issues of the Republican Convention. So let's wrap all this together and put a nice little bow on and a move on because really none of it matters. <laughs> convention's not that big of a deal itself. Now, it sets up some themes for the next three months, which we'll talk about, but the most important thing from now in the next three and a half months or whatever it is, is the first debate. That's where everything can change. So I, I stick by my prediction that I made about a year ago that Donald Trump will win in a landslide, uh, but... The only out I will give myself is that first debate if it goes horribly. Now, I, th- I still think it'll win. I think everything will be fine. But um, anyway, we'll get to that one. We'll get there. So I got this tweet from Aaron. This was right when Michelle Obama was talking. This was the first day of the convention. Uh, she said, you totally called it about the DNC, the Democrats, using visuals, music, and stories to make the impression That folks want. Trump should have listened to you. So I'm sitting on the couch watching this really well done video about Michelle Obama. This was on Monday. It was fun. It was upbeat. A little bit self-deprecating. There was a little kid who said that Michelle Obama is his is his first or second favorite first lady out of the last three since he's been alive. Right? It's like fun. And then the music plays. Um, it's like I want to see you be brave, like that song. I won't sing anymore, I promise. And then uh, she walks out, and like the stage was set perfectly, perfectly for her. And they did that from the jump on day one, and they did it every day, all the way to the end. Now, if you listened last week, I was incredibly critical of the Republican convention, and not so much critical as much as. Disappointed because I knew the potential. Here's the deal. Democrats are better storytellers. Democrats are better storytellers, but conservatives have a better story to tell. Write that one down. So I thought Donald Trump, not necessarily because I agree with his message all the time, But because he's in that world, he's in the reality TV world, he's in the storytelling world, he's in the marketing, branding, persuading, stagecraft world, I thought this would be unlike any convention we've ever seen. And the first day was terrible. And the second day was a little better. And then finally, they got their act together the last two days when it came to storytelling and stagecraft and all the rest. So I was so disappointed. And I knew that the Democrats would do a better job and day 1 they come out this monday with videos and introductions and it is a tight compact purposeful story and that's frustrating so let me let me just give you an example real quick just in case you think i'm totally out of my mind take 20 seconds today right now or whenever you get a second just google rnc go to go to the republican national committee website um, I think it's convention, yeah, convention.gop. Okay, just go check it out. Look at it for five seconds, and then go to the Democrat, the DNC website. There's is demconvention.com. Just go look at the websites. Spend five seconds, five seconds on each website. That's it. It looks like the Republicans made their website in 1995. They're totally different planets. Totally. Now. No one that doesn't matter. No one goes to either of these websites ever, but it's that mentality that they bring to everything they do. The Democrats, they're way, way better at it. And I thought one of the things about supporting the reality TV star was that he'd be much, much better at this and surround himself with good producers and video editors and all the rest to tell these stories. And that did not happen at the convention. So, that's the stagecraft aspect. But then the speech, let me just, we'll just start with Michelle. We'll work our way through the week. She comes out and what does she do? Starts telling, telling stories. That's it. It's all about storytelling. That's, that's all that matters. That's what Jesus did. He told stories, right? Just tell stories. One of my favorite stories that she and the president have told before is when a little black boy went to the white house and asked the president if they have the same type of hair and the president just bends over and lets him touch it. And there was a photographer there that took a picture of it. It was a really, really sweet moment. Great story. And then Michelle does this one thing right here. This was, this was the pivot of the entire week. As soon as she said this, I said, Oh, there it is. That's what they're going to be doing all week. It's about reframing the narrative. That's what the Democrats had to do this last week. They had to change the entire narrative, and she did it with just one line. Before I tell you what that line was, remember I must, it was last week two weeks ago, we talked about the OJ trial, and uh, we played a scene of a scene I it's a TV show uh, a scene of uh, Johnny Cochran doing his closing arguments to the jury. Now, when Johnny Cochran got up there, he did not talk about facts. He didn't talk about the timeline of that night in question. He didn't talk about where OJ Simpson was. He didn't talk facts because if he talked facts, then everyone would be like, oh, yeah, he did it. So he didn't talk facts to the jury. He said, you are the conscience of our community. And if you don't stop racism in the LAPD right now, and no one ever will. He totally changed the narrative away from who killed Ron and Nicole to stop police brutality and stop racism in the the police department. Changed the narrative just like that. Michelle Obama did the same thing. She said, this November, when we go to the polls, now, quick timeout, Maybe someone would say someone less skilled than her and her speechwriter, and I'll tell you about her speechwriter, Sarah Hurwitz, in a second. Um, someone less skilled would say, "When you go to the polls, think that the unemployment rate is you know whatever, and uh, and poverty is this, and the Dow is there, whatever, right?" She didn't say facts. It wasn't facts. It wasn't graduation rates. It wasn't interest rates. It wasn't numbers. She didn't say think about these things when you go to the polls. She said when you go to the polls, this is what you're deciding, not Democrat or Republican, not left or right in this election. It's about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. The role model card. Now, where does this come from? A couple weeks ago, Hillary Clinton's team released the only advertisement that they've released that has been effective in any way at all. The only one. They're terrible at their advertisements. As good as they are storytelling up on stage and speeches and stuff like this, their advertisements are awful. Terrible, terrible commercials. And it, when it comes to persuasion, like just really, really ineffective. But there was one they played that's really good. And you're going to see a lot of it if you haven't already. It's Donald Trump saying some of the outlandish things that he said before, like punch him in the nose, like that kind of thing. He's on the TV and there's video of kids watching the TV, listening to him say these things. Very effective ad. And it plays to the whole role model thing who, and then Michelle Obama comes back with who's going to have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. Now, That is not a rational argument in any way whatsoever. The president should really have no effect in your life, let alone the power to shape our children. So it's a terrible argument, but wildly effective. It's not about reality, but that doesn't matter. It's not about law and order. It's not about manufacturing. It's not about the economy. It's about who's going to shape our children for the next four or eight years. And because the Democrats have built this false narrative that they're the people who care about people, it works. And Republicans are mean and old. And Democrats are young, fun, and nice. And great role models. Now, please don't get me wrong. I- I'll get some tweets here. People are like, oh, Slater, how dare you praise her speech? Hold on. It was a total fairy tale. Right? I disagreed with everything she said. But when it comes to persuasion and effectiveness from the Democratic perspective, it was first class. Couldn't get better. And the example I always use when we talk about persuasion. Republicans sell sneakers by talking about the improved fabric and the improved support system in them. Democrats sell sneakers by showing NBA stars dunk a basketball. Republicans spout facts. Democrats tell stories. You wonder why Democrats win. Now, real quick on our speechwriter, because I agree with Mike Rowe on this. I think it's totally absurd that we allow speechwriter – like, the, the people who get up there and – like, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, whoever, they don't write the speech. So, like, they're just up there performing. It's just an it's an act. It's a, it's a really bizarre system that we have here. But Sarah Hurwitz is her name. Um she is one of the only people who's been in the White House the entire time and for the last 7 years she's written for Michelle Obama exclusively. So every word, nearly every word that the First Lady has said publicly is either written or edited by Sarah Horwitz. Harvard law grad, um super smart. The fact that the Republicans can't find one person as good as Sarah Horwitz is totally it's, it's not true that just not they're not trying. So Let me take a break here. I want to come back because I know I've been beating this drum for a while. Last two weeks. People are annoyed at me, and I think I realize why. It's because I'm not really giving a suggestion. I'm just saying, here are the things we're doing wrong. But what would it look like if it's done right? So the other day I sat down, I put five minutes on the clock, and I wrote out, a suggestion. Wrote down what a what a speech might look like that that does some of the things that the Democrats are really good at. So I'll give that to you next. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: This is Mike Slater.
2: So I think one mistake, thanks for being here, Slater Crusaders. I think one mistake that Donald Trump has made is the idea that I'm the one who can do these things. Now, I know what he meant. He said, when he said, I'm the only one who can do this, I think he meant I as opposed to the other person running, (laughs) right? I between us two, but that's not how people took it. And much better than I'm the one who can do this is... I am the only one who will get out of your way so that you can do it. And those are two totally, completely different things. When Trump says, I will do this and people chant, yes, you will. That leaves wide open a space for the Democrats to run in and say, not Hillary's great, but you, the American people are great and America's already great. And only Hillary can make it better. And that is way more positive and aspirational than aren't I wonderful. And that I think that's that's not going to be good these next three months. He's got to figure out how to how to flip that around. So the other day I, I, I put five minutes on the clock and I wrote up a quick little speech here with just a couple things that if I was speaking at the convention, um, how I would say it. Now, there's a million ways to do this, obviously, but I think this hits on some of the themes that I've been talking about these last couple of weeks. So it starts like this. I'd say, uh, hey, everyone, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Insert joke here. I'd say, I want to tell the story of uh, Nehemiah. So imagine this. It's around 400 BC. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. So it was his job to make sure the king was never poisoned. And one day he learned that the walls around Jerusalem were destroyed, never rebuilt. And he felt called by God to go and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. But when he was there, he had to fight off enemies from all sides while building. So he had a sword in one hand and he was building the wall with the other. But he was able to rebuild that wall in 52 days. All right, so this is good because we're in storytelling mode, right? Start off with a story. People captivated by stories. So I come back and say, all right, now, this is not a story about building a wall along our southern border. But we will do that. This is about rebuilding America. America. Just like that wall around Jerusalem once stood tall and protected our city. We need to build up America again. So we're a city on a hill that shines brighter than ever before. Now here's the best part of the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3 lays out all the people who helped rebuild that wall. He didn't do it by himself. It lays out the people who helped him, what their profession was, and what they did to help build the wall. There was a goldsmith. There was a perfume maker and everything in between and everyone helped on their own section in their own way to rebuild this giant wall while under attack and they all did it in 52 days this is the only way america can be rebuilt with each and every one of us so this is if i would, if i was donald trump i'd say i will do my part in washington dc it's a mess it's a disaster i'll clean it up But we all have to do our part. Don't be inspired by me. Be inspired by Lauren Roach and Landry Nealon. They're both 12 years old, and they saw something bad happen in their neighborhood. They wanted to make a difference. So they thought about something they could do to help. They started a lemonade stand. Two days later, they raised $10,000 for police officers in Dallas. All right, so in the big giant screen behind me, you put up a picture of uh, of these girls at the lemonade stand and the, a line down the block. People are waiting to buy buy lemonade. Okay? Like, grab people into that story. Now, little Lauren said that at first they thought they could raise $100. Now you're saying, well, $100, that's nothing. To them... I'm, it, it wasn't enough to stop them. They said, we're going to do it. It may only be a little bit, but we're going to do it no matter what, just because it's something we all, we're going to do the best we can. They weren't discouraged by only a hundred dollars. They knew they had to do their part. And that's the best part. When you start, I promise you, America, you will be amazed at how high you can go and how far you can go and at how great we can make America again. We just have to to start. Now, my job is to make it easier for you to start. Because I know we're already a great people. Now, you have to say that. Quick time out. You have to say that. Because if you don't, then it leaves it open for the Democrats to say. it. So you got to take it from them. Now, Trump never did a line like this. So the Democrats came back this last week and said, we're already great. You have to. Trump had to say something like, yeah, we're going to make America great again. But here are the things where America's already great. How? The people. The people of America are great. So Trump has to say, I know we're already a great people and you're a great person and life is tough as it is. And my job is to get the government out of your way so that you can reach your full potential as a mother and a father and a teacher and a business owner and a neighbor. And I know the goodness is in us. All right, you got to talk about positivity because again, the Democrats framed The convention is negative all the time. So come in with some positivity. I got one last story. I got a minute. Wichita Black Lives Matter protesters went to the police chief to let them know that they were planning a protest and they wanted to shut down some streets. And the police chief said, well, I got a better idea. So that Sunday, hundreds of people of all races gathered in a local park for a barbecue. Police officers, activists, everyone got together, had a good time. Now behind us, you could play a video of them dancing and stuff like that. This is who we are. The left divides. But when left free, the American people want to unite. My job, to get the government out of your way so that we all can. And I spent a lot of time talking about a wall. And we're going to build that wall. But big picture, this election's about America. We don't want to go backwards, as the left says we want. you got to preempt their attack. right? You know that they're going to say we want to go backwards, so preempt it by saying we don't want to. Now they can't make that argument anymore. So we don't want to go backwards like the left says. We want to revive our core principles. We want to restore our constitutional foundation. We want to rebuild America from the ground up. Nehemiah said, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. I'll tell you, seven and a half years is long enough of America being a disgrace. It's our chance right now to make America great again. Know, just an idea. Send it to Trump's team. Maybe they'll do it. Mike Slater, chef. Spread the word.
0: Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.
2: You're listening to Mike Slater. Slater, because that is thanks for being here. So why that speech that I wrote? Now, there's millions of ways to write that. I, I just obviously threw it together. But there's a couple key elements to it. And also, it's not in Trump's voice at all, right? So if I was writing for Trump, then it would change the voice a bit. But first of all, it tells stories. Trump didn't have a single story in this whole speech. Missed opportunity there. Uh, I told two stories in that five-minute speech. Lemonade stand and uh, the community barbecue. Also, it talks about rebuilding, which, yes, means things are broken, but it's still positive. You have to be positive when you're talking about how things are broken. Otherwise, you're going to be accused of being negative, and no one wants that. It preempts the left's criticism of Republicans just want to go backwards, And you just preempt it by saying, the left is going to say, and then dismiss it, right? So preempt what they're going to accuse you of, admit it, and then tear it down and say, no, we don't want to go backwards. We want to revive our core principles and we want to become a brighter, shining city upon a hill. What else did it do? Um, Oh, it united, right? The left, they're the dividers. We're the uniters. Right? So make that clear. It had a mission, it had a purpose, it had a cause. It was empowering. It talked about how we all have a role in this. It's all there. Now I want to keep I want to keep going on this because this is important because we got three months to do this right. now it, it, I did this on my local show and people were like, stop criticizing Trump. It's not about that. It's also a learning lesson for all of us. Because we have three and a half months in this election to win and win in a landslide. And then we got many more elections. So we got to learn from what happened here so it doesn't happen again. Barack Obama did this. Michelle did this. Biden did this. They all did it. They did the America's already great line. The only way that all those P- Democrats were able to say that Is because Trump gave it to him. First of all, we need to know that it's around 70 or 80% of people think that the country is going on the wrong track and don't think that America is doing well. So Trump tapped into that, which is awesome and really important. And he's done a perfect job of that. But that's incomplete. You got to tap into it and then you got to add a dose of aspiration to it. You got to add a dose of positivity. You need, a, you need a little bit of, well, here are some things that are going great. Not government things. All the government things are terrible. I'll give you an example. The VA. Okay, Trump talks about the VA all the time, how the VA is terrible. What well, is? Talk about how it's broken. Talk about how it's a disaster. Talk about how you're going to fix it. But you also have to talk about how the doctors at the VA are amazing. Because if you don't, then the Democrats are going to come back and say, I don't know what all this negativity is about the VA. Here's Dr. So-and-so at the VA who saved this man's life, right? You you leave it open to him. So don't let him do that. Take, do it first. Trump talks about how the military is a disaster. It is in many ways, but when you do that, you also have to talk about how our soldiers are better than ever. Because if you don't, then the Democrats are going to come back and say, wow, Donald Trump is so down on our military. Our military is amazing. Here, look at this soldier and how he risked his life. to." Be- Trump talks about how the economy is in the toilet. Absolutely. But you also have to talk about how people are working harder than ever before to make ends meet. And they're working hard. Like That's a good thing, the hard work. Because if you don't, Then the left comes back and says, wow, Trump is so down on the economy. Well, let me show you Nancy here. Nancy's a single mother, two children, and she's working harder than ever to give the life that uh, she wants to give for her children. Isn't she amazing? Talk about how the people are doing amazing. It's the government that's screwing everything up, but the people are still amazing. If you don't, then the left will come in and swoop it and take it from you. Did you ever think in a million years that you would hear the Democrat delegates chanting USA? What in the world? Michelle Obama gets up there and says America's the greatest country in the world. What? What? It was a couple of years ago when she said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of America. And here she is saying America's the greatest country in the world. The only way she could get away with that. It's because Barack or because uh, Donald Trump said make America great again. Well hold on, does that mean America's is not already isn't already great? No, I think it is great. And and the Democrats did that and ran with it. Democrats never chant USA. That's our thing. Talk about cultural appropriation. That's the Republican thing. Democrats never chant USA. They think that's jingoistic. They think that's that's bigoted. They think that's closed minded. They don't think that's globalist enough. That's too nationalistic to chant USA. but Trump left it open for them to take it and run with it. That's a shame. Let me give you an example of this. So, Trump can say, race relations are worse than ever. But if you stop there, it sounds negative. Now, good to bring attention to it. You can't ignore it. I'm not saying you ignore that reality. You mention it, but if you stop there, it's not enough. You need the one-two punch. So the one-two punch, the one punch is race relations are worse than ever. Barack Obama is the worst person in the world. That's the one punch. But when you do that, the obvious counterpunch from the left is, no, race relations are amazing, and here's an example how. So don't give them that. Think ahead. It's just like chess. It's just like boxing. Just like karate. just like MMA. You don't just think about your punch. You think about your punch and what their counter is going to be, their block. And then if they make that block, what is their punch, what is their attack going to be? So you can be prepared for that. So you can make another punch that they're not prepared for. You got to think a couple moves ahead. Chess, boxing, and debate and rhetoric. You don't just make one argument and let it sit. You make an argument knowing what their rebuttal is going to be so that you can make another proper rebuttal back. Or before you make an argument, you know what their counterpunch is going to be. So you preempt their counterpunch, right? And we did that with Trump speech that are the the speech that I made up a couple minutes ago. When I say the Democrats are going to say that we are this, but we're not right. That's a preemptive block. You got to think a couple moves ahead like this. So instead of saying race relations are worse than ever, you say the left makes it seem like race relations are worse than ever. But that's not the America I know. That puts the Democrats in the defensive position of having to say, no, 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 we're super racist. Everyone's racist. Let me show you how racist everyone is. Well, that's not a winning proposition. That's a losing proposition. So do you see the difference? If if Republicans say race relations are worse than ever, the Democrats are going to come back and say, no, people are unified and and we get along all the time. Okay, that's positive and and all this. But if we say, man, the left says race relations are horrible, but that's not the America I know, then they have to come back with the negativity. They have to come back with, no, everyone's racist. Does that make sense? So here's a a story of the America I know, the real race relations in America. Someone put this on Facebook the other day. Uh, They said, we went to Olive Garden in Little Rock after Elise's tests at Children's Hospital were over. And she was starving and I was trying to make a bottle and I spilled it all over me in the floor. Our waiter, wish I knew his name, watched all that happen And it just brought our salad and breadsticks. And he said, here, let me feed her. You eat. This melted all of us. And this is what we need more of. He fed her and I ate my salad and breadsticks. And that milk on the floor got cleaned up after we left because he just understood. He didn't even know what we'd went through that day. And he showed us love and understanding. He wasn't irritated that I made a mess and my baby was screaming. Gosh, I wish I would have got his name and he deserves so much recognition. Okay. So they took a picture of a black server, maybe 30 years old, holding the bottle for their white baby. The server's name is Robert Davis. He has two kids himself. So, what's this story tell you? The family at the table is white, the server's black. They have a very shallow thing that separates them and divides them and makes them different from each other. Very shallow. Skin color. But because the server has two kids and this woman has a baby with her, there's something that united them. Something way more important. That's how you build empathy. That's how you build understanding. That's how you build unity. And these are the things that we need to try and find in each of us. The fact that this guy had two kids, he said, oh man, I've been there before. Man, I, I had that happen to me one time and no one helped me. So I'm going to help this woman. And they just it got so much deeper than the shallowness of skin color. That's the America I know. And that stuff happens all the time. So if Trump or whoever, it doesn't have to be Trump. If someone tells that story, then the left has to come back with horrible things. <laughs> That's not a winning proposition. The left has to come back with, no, we're horribly racist all the time. It's not a winning message, but Trump didn't do that. Trump just said we have, you know, race relations have never been worse. So then the left comes back with their counterpunch of no, we're the party of inclusion and positivity where everyone gets along and all of that. It was just, it wasn't, wasn't well planned. The, the, the rhetoric of it wasn't well planned. It's like a MMA fighter, just going in swinging his arms and kicking his feet around and seeing what happens. And, they, and listen, maybe that's not even a fair analogy. It's an MMA person going into the the octagon and throwing really good punches and really good kicks, but not being experienced enough to understand what the what that person's defense is going to be, that block is going to be, and what their counter punch is going to be, and then what your re attack needs to be. They weren't. He wasn't thinking enough plays ahead. So the first punch is great but he left himself way too open and us way too open for the counterattack and that's the disappointment but we got three months we can do better and uh, pick it up one 88 Slater Radio on Twitter Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network
0: spread the word Mike Slater we will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network
2: Our last point on this, I promise. And then we're going to talk about the uh, climate change approach uh, segment of last week's Democratic convention, which was absurd. So we'll play some videos of that. But got this email from Lynn. Now, Lynn wrote me an email last week during the Republican convention, telling me to stop being so negative about uh, the convention and stop giving constructive criticism about it. Uh, Then, earlier this week, she told me to stop giving so many compliments. about the D- democratic convention. Okay. So same person wrote me an email on Thursday and said, the speech that the president delivered was the speech that Trump should have given himself last week. It was powerful on point and delivered with the right amount of passion and enthusiasm. And he actually smiled several times. So there you go. Exactly. what I'm talking about, so how did Obama do this? How did he accomplish Why is he good at this skill set? Now, let's be very clear. Being good at reading a teleprompter is not a skill set that's necessary to be a good president. So, Barack Obama's amazing at reading a teleprompter. That doesn't mean he's a good president. Hillary Clinton's terrible at reading a teleprompter. That doesn't mean she'll be a a good or bad. Like, they have nothing to do with each other. It's its its own thing. We've joked before, it'd be like picking pilots based off of a Connect Four tournament. Like it's like okay you're good at connect four but that doesn't mean you can fly an airplane like they have nothing to do with each other and neither does giving big speeches like this but for whatever reason we've determined that they should have something to do with each other so this is what Obama said the lines like this for all the tough lessons i've had to learn and for all the pl- uh all the places i've fallen short i've told hillary and i'll tell you what's picked me back up every single time it's been you the american people right so what we talked about a second ago with trump Saying, yes, America, make America great again. That implies that America is not currently great, but you, the American people are, you just haven't reached your full potential because the government's in the way. That's the step two that Trump hasn't articulated clearly. So when he doesn't do that, then the Democrats take it and talk about how great the American people are. He says, it's the letter I keep on my wall from a survivor in Ohio who twice almost lost everything to cancer, but urged me to keep fighting for health care reform. Do not quit. It's the painting. Listen to this imagery. It's the painting I keep in my private office. A big-eyed green owl made by a seven-year-old girl who was taken from us in Newtown, given to me by her parents so I wouldn't forget. A reminder of all the parents who have turned their grief into action. Oh, it's an Incredible imagery. It's the small business owner in Colorado who cut most of his own salary so he wouldn't have to lay off his workers in the recession because he said that wouldn't have been in the spirit of America. It's the conservative in Texas who said he disagreed with me on everything but appreciated that, like him, I try to be a good dad. And it's the courage of the young soldier in Arizona who nearly died on the battlefield in Afghanistan but who's learned to speak and walk again and earlier this year stepped through the door of the Oval Office on his own power to salute and shake my hand storytelling 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 we got three months the denver the republicans have better stories to tell so let's get telling them spread the word
3: you're listening to mike slater
0: part of the next generation of talk radio
3: on the blaze radio network
0: Slater and three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Slater for Seder is America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. So I want to play this video here from the Democratic Convention. You might have missed it. The last night, one of the themes was climate change. Now, just to go step back, we were critical of the Republican convention because they didn't do enough video. I didn't think they do. So when you watch the Olympics next week, next week, yeah, starts next week, next Sunday, next Friday starts. Um, you know when they, like, so I'm an Olympic nut, right? I'll watch every event. I'll watch them all. So they'll have on primetime one night, they'll have archery. And it's like, well, who cares about archery? So what NBC does is they have a, Little two three minute vignette about one of the guys on the archery team and you find out that you know uh, his, uh, his mom died of cancer recently and then he got in a horrible car accident and he never thought he would could compete again and then he somehow was able to and here he is and now you're rooting for the guy in archery all of a sudden right you're like totally emotionally invested in this guy who's gonna win the gold medal in his mom's memory or whatever <laughs> they do this all the time these these vignettes, when you watch the NBA finals or whatever, when they come back from a commercial or in the beginning, um, at the game, they'll do this cool highlight reel with music and everything about the games in the season before and getting fired up. Right? So I'm thinking Donald Trump is the King of reality TV. It's going to, that's all this is going to be the Republican convention. It's going to be all these videos to get everyone hyped up and focused and, and provide context and purpose to every speech. And there was nothing since so the last day they had a couple videos. that was it. Total missed opportunity. I was really frustrated by that. So, and one reason I was frustrated is I said, listen, everyone, the Democrats are going to knock this out of the park. Sure enough, on climate change day, they had a five minute video made by James Cameron. (laughs) Now it's total propaganda, but it's really good. Um, This is why, and one last point on, on how this is effective. Dinesh D'Souza, who's awesome. He used to be a think tank guy. He used to be working in think tanks and he said, this is for the birds. I'm doing all this work. No one's reading it. It's not moving the needle at all. Basically, it's just for the donors. I'm not, I got to get out of the echo chamber. So that's when he started making films. So these movies are super influential and powerful and the Republicans didn't do enough of it and whatever. So that's, that's the background. To this video. We're going to do a little stop and go of the climate change video uh, that they played at the Democratic Convention, and we'll talk about how absurd this whole thing is. There we go.
4: We all know it's happening. It's real. It's happening now.
2: Oh, let's just pause it right here real quick. So you can imagine what that is, right? Volcanoes and earthquakes and tidal waves. And it's like a movie trailer from uh, Day After Tomorrow, right? And it's just like smoke stacks and super polluted everything and everything's... good. And by the way, Republicans are the negative ones, right? And here's this video saying we're all going to die. All right, here we go.
4: The droughts. The storms. The floods. The fires. The record heat waves. This is not something we've seen before.
2: All right. Stop here. Stop here. This stuff is so frustrating. All right. Let's just focus on fires. But what I'm about to say here is true for generally for everything they just listed there. But I'll focus on wildfires because no one ever does. Wildfires aren't a new thing. Now, you'll notice they'll always say hottest on record or most wildfires on record. They have to say that... the, the, the we'll stick, Sorry, stick with wildfires. They'll say that this is the most wildfires on record. But what does that mean? That's like the last hundred years. But I'll tell you, before there were humans, a wildfire would kick up and would never stop until it burned itself out or it rained. So stop making it seem like wildfires are a new thing caused by humans. They've always been around and they're only now stopped because of humans. I mean, there was times... In world history, not just on record, when wildfires would just burn the whole country down. I mean, just just go forever. And wildfires are good for forest growth and good for healthy forests. And in California, I know, they've made it impossible to thin the forests. So forests are thicker than ever, so they burn faster and stronger than they otherwise would. So if the environmentalists would get out of the way, then we could properly thin the forests when and where appropriate, and there wouldn't be as many wildfires. But the environmentalists won't let us do that. So this is going to be the key theme of, of my whole argument here as we play this video. None of this stuff is new. They need to make it seem like this is all new stuff. It's not. All right, I'll, I'll keep going. Let's. let's uh, we'll. I'll finish up that point after we hear the video. Let's keep going. There is a wake-up call here. There's
4: a reality that has existed for a long time that we have been blind to. This breaks my heart. We shouldn't have to be going through this. It's not our fault. I thought it needed to rain last year. I thought it's just another dry spell and we'd be out of it. But it is more than a dry spell.
2: Harvest was done in Kansas almost by the time it normally started. It was like somebody flipped a switch.
1: And it quit raining, it got warm, and it just stayed that way.
4: Crops are failing, food prices are rising, communities are threatened, our children are at risk. 2015 was the worst wildfire season on record, with there it more is, than on 10 million acres burned.
1: Because of global warming, mountain snow now melts earlier each year.
2: And when that happens, the ground dries up earlier, too. That's- How much do you think has to do with global warming?
0: You can't deny the fact that it's getting warmer and drier.
2: It had, over the last century, was an extra foot of sea level, largely as a result of climate change.
4: She said, Mommy, hold me. I'm scared. And I did. I held her.
2: Oh, and then the wave started coming up over me. I felt the water rising. And we went I- under. Stop, stop, stop. The waves started coming. Like, waves are a new thing? What is is that? All right, keep going.
4: And I knew I lost her immediately because I knew she couldn't get up again. I'm a Christian. I'm conservative in many ways. And I also believe that climate change
0: is real. A thermometer is not Republican. A thermometer is not Democrat. Eventually, Miami will be underwater. Stop.
2: Yeah, okay. Thermometers are not Republican or Democrat. But the people who read them are, and the people who write down the readings are, and the people who misrepresent the data are, and the people who write newspaper stories about the misrepresented data are Democrats. See the difference there? That's the important part. The thermometer is not Republican or Democrat, but every single person after that is. Here we go. Eventually Miami will be underwater. It's just a matter of when the sea level is going to rise and Miami won't be here when it rises. Okay. All right. I think that may be the last stop. We're almost done here. So Miami underwater, let's talk about this. There is no exact or precise or perfect sea level. The left has to paint this picture that there is a normal or an ideal When it comes to things like sea level or temperature, there is no such thing. We've talked before about the barren land bridge. This is how it's believed humans made it from Asia to North America, connecting, uh, Asia and, uh, Alaska. And this has possible because water levels, sea levels went down and it exposed land that connects the continents. And then people walked over it and then the sea levels went back up and now it's underwater. What made that happen? Cars? Like, how did the sea levels go down? How did they go back up? Sea levels always, always, always change. They've never not changed. That's the craziest part of this whole thing. But the left needs to make it seem as if it's always been the exact same. It's total nonsense. All right, let's wrap it up.
1: There is no doubt that climate change is a threat to our national security. We all know that human activities are changing the atmosphere in unexpected and in unprecedented ways. If I may use a strong word, I would say that we are at the limits of suicide.
4: How's the Pope? This is the painful reality of a world radically altered by climate change. It's not reality TV. Make no mistake: Trump's reckless denial of climate change is dangerous.
2: Oh, stop, 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 stop. A threat to stop, you- stop. A police siren. <laughs> Why did they put a police siren in there?
4: Dangerous.
2: What is that? Change is dangerous. Why would you do that? That's only to create fear. But do you see how propaganda works? Do you see how good they are at it? Now, here, we'll wrap this up here, I promise. But this is my whole point. Conservatives have better stories to tell. The Democrats are better storytellers. We have better stories to tell. But no one's good at it. Or tries to do it. And that's what's so frustrating. All right, here we go. To your livelihood, your
4: safety, your children, and the prosperity of this nation.
1: All of this with the global warming and the, that, a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. There's no
0: doubt in my mind the damage from Sandy was worse because global warming caused the sea level to be
1: higher. I am not a believer in climate change. We
4: used to have seasons back then, and now we don't. We're going to cancel the Paris Climate Agreement. Same people that don't want to believe in that science believe in science when they need to take a pill.
0: And we're getting warmer faster and faster. We're heading into an unknown future like we have never put ourselves in before.
1: Speaking of global warming, where is we need some global warming? It's freezing.
0: We are the first generation to feel the sting of climate change. And we are the last generation that can do something about it.
4: As Americans, we face challenges head on. Our country is ready to tackle the challenge of climate change. Together we can make America the world's clean energy superpower. I heard you say that you think they're beautiful because of what they symbolize
0: yeah what they represent the ability to generate electricity without putting carbon in the air
4: we can run our homes our cars our businesses on clean power and create millions of new jobs doing it half a billion solar panels across the country in the next four years and enough renewable energy to power every home in America within the next
2: ten oh, I'm not going That's to let insane. anyone right, I gotta stop there. I can't take back. it anymore. You get the idea, okay? Um, all right. this is what I want to do when we get back. Do you remember when Michelle Obama said uh, slaves built the White House? Remember when she said that? The reason she said that is in the same uh, it, it's in the same propaganda toolbox as what you just heard in that video. How can these two things be connected? I'll share. Uh, I'll tell you next. Slater Radio on Twitter, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: So what does that little mini propaganda movie they played at the DNC about global warming have to do with what Michelle Obama said about slaves building the White House? Okay, because they're in the same, as I said, uh, propaganda toolbox. So this is, uh, I want to quote here from Duke Pesta. He said, I started giving quizzes to my juniors and seniors. I think high school, but it doesn't matter, high school or college. I gave them a 10 question American history test just to see where they are. The vast majority of my students, I'm talking nine out of 10 in every single class for seven consecutive years. You ready for this? They have no idea that slavery existed anywhere in the world before the United States. They are 100% convinced that slavery is a uniquely American invention. How do you give an adequate view of history and culture to kids when that's what they think of their own country? That America invented slavery. That's all they know. Okay, so this is another reason why Michelle Obama often says that the White House was built by slaves. First, to create the impression that America is founded on slavery, built on slavery, that we're prosperous today because of the free labor of slavery back then, and create the, the idea that America is rotten to our core. If we were founded on something so evil as slavery, then that means anything that came from it is also rotten. This is why they say founding fathers are nothing but a bunch of slave owners, right? Because they own slaves, it means that nothing else they ever said is valid or righteous or worth listening to. And America is so rotten to its core, even the White House was built by slaves. Do you see why they keep saying that? That's how evil we are. That's how bad this country is, especially in our founding. Even the White House was built by slaves, which isn't entirely true. It was built by some slaves, some free blacks, some immigrants, and the White House was completely gutted in 1950 and rebuilt, but whatever. The other reason the left keeps talking about slavery in America is to make it seem uniquely American. They'll never mention the slave trade in Africa was alive and well Long before America was a country. They'll never mention the Muslim slave trade. They'll never mention that the first Barbary War, the first war that we fought in America, was over Muslims taking Americans as slaves. They're not going to mention slavery in Asia or anywhere else in the world. Slavery needs to be a uniquely American thing. Now... If someone does mention those things, they'll come back with, oh, but our slavery was different. It was, mu- it was based much more on racism. All right, well, I'll tell you this. No one knows this. Schools don't teach this. But there were 10 million slaves who were shipped from Africa to the New World. Brazil took 5 million of them. 10 million came over. Brazil took 5 million of them. America, 400,000. The rest were throughout the Caribbean. So not only was slavery not a uniquely American thing, we are a minuscule percentage of the slave trade in the new world. About 4%. Okay, so what's the connection? Just like they need to make it seem like slavery is uniquely American, they have to make it seem like the climate has never changed in world history. And the only reason it's changing today is because of America. People really believe that the climate has never changed. That the climate's never changed. That the sea levels have never changed. That the tectonic plates have never changed. They won't admit to that, but I mean, why not? That the, temp- the, the, the planet has always been a ah, temperature. That the ice caps have always been in the exact same place and the exact same size. And that there's always been plenty of water in Southern California, which is naturally a desert and has no water at all. But they have to make it seem as if it's always been a particular way until America came in and ruined it and screwed it up. And it's the same thing with slavery. Everyone in the world was great, peaceful. Everyone got along. And then America was founded. And we started slavery. No proper context given. No context given to the slave trade around us and before us and after us and still today around the world. And no proper context given to the planet and the sea levels and the temperature and all the rest. So obviously, with no proper context, kids in particular are not going to get the full, complete, and honest picture. But that's not what they want. So Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
0: This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On
3: the Blaze Radio Network.
0: later on the blaze radio
2: network. How do you do? Um, let us, Hmm. So I'm not a big fan of telling stories like this cause kind of hard to follow. Not that you're unable to follow. I just, first of all, it's hard to tell clearly, but people also come in and out. And if you're busy right now, if you're driving, a truck drives by, you miss a couple words, but I don't know. It's Saturday. Maybe this will work. Why not? So, 2010, there was an earthquake in Haiti. Do you remember that? It's terrible. Do you remember how many people died? Remember how many people died in the Haitian earthquake? Just just a little point of context. There's uh, Americans killed in Afghanistan, 2,300. 2,300 Americans killed in Afghanistan, 2,000. In Haiti, 200,000 people died in that earthquake. 200,000 people. So the people of Haiti, really the poorest in the world, they're barely hanging on to begin with, and 200,000 people die. So countries, people from all around the world donated $10.5 billion in aid. About $4 billion came from the United States. So we're six years later now. How's it been going? Uh, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> the rebuilding efforts have gone nowhere. And this is true with most aid. The money almost never makes it to the people who need it. So it almost always goes to the leaders or the king of the country, right? If we give money to Swaziland or or food to the people of Swaziland, then it goes right to the king and his 15 wives. It doesn't go to the people. It just doesn't. We give aid and it makes the rich leaders even richer. But Haiti doesn't have a leader. So who got rich? The Clintons. Bill Clinton was named the UN representative for aid in Haiti. He got all the money. Now, hold on, not all, hang with me. Here. He didn't get the money. He didn't just get $10 billion. He got to divvy out the money. Anything else well, that's that's wonderful of him that he got to do that. Well, if you got to do that, you would give it to the people who deserve it or who need it. That's not what the Clintons did. So I'll just give you the short of it here. I'll give you three companies. Clayton Homes, Innovita, and Digicel. So Clayton Homes, we'll start with Clayton Homes. They were given money to build temporary shelters for people of Haiti. They did a terrible job. They were full of formaldehyde. People got sick from the mold. They were so hot, people couldn't even live in them. Think about how bad these temporary, shelter, uh, these temporary shelters would have to be for people in Haiti to abandon them. right? Uh, people in Haiti after an earthquake are like, well, I'm not staying here. Like, holy cow, that's pretty bad. So how does this benefit the Clintons? Clayton Homes is owned by Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is an active member of the Clinton Foundation. He recently gave $2 billion to the Gates Foundation, which is one of the largest donors to the Clinton Foundation. Clayton Holmes got a no-bid contract. So do you see how that works? Bill Clinton doesn't keep the UN money. That's way, way, way too corrupt. But he doles it out to people in exchange for them giving the money to the Clinton Foundation, where only about 10% of that goes to a charity anyway. They get to pocket the rest. So do you see how that works? He doles out the money in exchange for money to the Clinton Foundation, which he keeps. Now you're thinking, all right, Slater, I don't buy it. Okay. That's a stretch, what you just said. That, that story with Clayton Holmes, it's too loose of an affiliation. No, no, no good. Don't believe it. All right. I'll give you a second company Inovita. Bill Clinton, again, in charge of handing out the money, gave $10 million to Inovita. I N N O V I D A, Inovita. Led by a name, his name is Claudio Osario. On the board of his company are three of Clinton's close friends: General Wesley Clark, Hillary's remember he ran for president a while back, Hillary's 2008 finance director, and another major Democratic fundraiser who worked with Hillary. They're on the board of this company. So the Clintons say, "All right, you want money from the UN? Put our friends on the board, and we'll pay you. And then we'll give you the money, and then you also have to donate to the Clinton Foundation." Now, in the end, the head of this company took the money, never built any houses with it, other than his Miami Beach mansion, and he bought a a Maserati and also a ski lodge in Colorado. He's currently serving 12 years in jail on fraud charges related to this, this, like this whole thing, The, the money that he got from Bill Clinton, aid money. Like, this is why he's in jail for 12 years. And the Clintons got nothing. They didn't get any, no responsibility. All right, Slater. No, that's not, that's not better at all. That's still a stretch. You're very, this isn't like you, this is very right wing conspiracy of you. you're not, you're not making it clear. You're, you're really stretching for something. All right. I'll give you a third example. Digicel, The state department, which Hillary Clinton was the head of, has a program called food for peace. Now food for peace in Haiti handed out cell phones to people. Who made the cell phones? Digicel. So millions of dollars were given to the company. The company handed out cell phones through the State Department to people in Haiti, which by the way, those people then have to pay to use. Right? They gave them cell phone, they have to pay for the cell phone plans. And now, six years later, seventy five percent of the cell phone market in Haiti is owned by Digicel, completely because the Clintons gave away their phones and locked people into using them. Now, why did you sell? Oh, they must be the best company. No. Owned by Dennis O'Brien, who's a close friend of the Clintons, he organized three speaking engagements for Bill in Ireland, $200,000 a pop, and he also donated $5 million to the Clinton Foundation. So do you see how that works? Bill's in charge of how the money gets around in Haiti. He gave millions of dollars to a company owned by a friend. The friend gives the foundation money in exchange, which the Clintons then keep, and gets all this money for speaking engagements organized by the Fred. The Clintons can't steal the aid money. But they can give it out in exchange for other money. And the money's not even the important part. It's the it's the power wielding which they get off on. See those connections? These are just a few. In one place. At one time. These are in Haiti. These are these are some stories. That I, there's more. I just, I'll just i just keep it simple. I mean, I could tell you about the, the 600 acres that the Clintons gave to a, a friend who promised to build factories there and 100,000 jobs. This was the largest single expenditure of any of, the, any of the aid that was given. Six years later, they only have 5,000 jobs there and they kicked off all the farmers off their property and they lost their lives completely. Livelihoods completely. I'll give you another one. Hillary's brother, one of her brothers, Hugh, is on an advisory board of a mining company called VCS. For the first time in 50 years, Haiti awarded a new gold mining contract. Gosh, wouldn't you know it? VCS Mining, the same company that Hillary's brother is an advisor on. Now you're saying, well, Slater, maybe Hillary's brother is a really smart guy when it comes to mining operations. He's a prison guard. Why, why is Hillary Clinton's prison guard brother an advisor or on the advisory board of a mining company? And you think it's just major coincidence that for the first time in 50 years, Haiti awarded a gold mining contract to that company? Now, this one's so obvious. Bill Clinton was asked about it, and he said he was unaware that Hillary's brother was on the board. 1888-93393. So anyway, this person may be president. Which is awesome. I'll take a break here. I, I, I told this story on my local show, and, and people said, Slater, why don't more people know about it? Why don't people care? I'll tell you why next. Mike Slater show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
3: You're listening to
0: Mike Slater.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: generation of talk radio this is mike slater
2: so you may be asking why does no one care about what i just shared and that's just hating we can go all day what what uh, clinton foundation uh, fraud why does no one care right, i'll give you three reasons first it's one degree too complicated it's, it's just one degree it's not bill stole money that's that's easy it's bill gave money to someone who then donated money back to the Clinton Foundation. It's just one degree too complicated for people to care in our drive-by culture. Second, the highest virtue in America today is tolerance. We talk about this a lot. And calling someone out for doing something wrong is by definition intolerant. So people are scared to even do that. Better just to let it go. And the third thing is, I think people feel hopeless. They can't even do anything about it. And we only have limited brain cells, so let's dedicate it to something that we can solve directly. Three reasons, right? This one degree too complicated. It's intolerant to do anything about it. And honestly, could we anyway? Well, yeah, you cannot vote for them. It's a first start. I'll give you a fourth reason, actually. Uh, I call this the fire hose. I was thinking of this the other day. I saw a surveillance video of a flash mob. These flash mob, but not the flash mob where people dance and someone proposes to their girlfriend at the end of it. This is the flash mob where 20 teenagers rush into a convenience store and steal everything they can, just grab everything they can, and then run out without paying for it. And they do it in less than a minute. And the poor attendant lady can't do anything about it. She's scared out of her mind. It happens so fast. There's so many people. What are you going to do? And she doesn't know what they're going to do to her. So she just hides and, and the kids grab it and leave. So this is the attendant, and and this happened just the other day somewhere. I forget where it was. She says, I just want the parents to know, if they know, what the kids did that night. Do they know? It's sad to see this happening at that age. They were teenagers, 14, 15-year-olds, 16 max. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the candy. I just want somebody to come over here and tell me we're sorry we did this to you. I, I feel like... People don't care about what the Clintons have done over the years because it's it's just a fire hose. Not just them, everything. I mean, really, have has this country even talked much about the fact that some ISIS guys ran into a church in Normandy and cut off a priest's head? Are we? Oh, Slater, they only slit his throat. Whatever. Are we? Are we just gonna? pretend like that didn't happen? Or, but it's just a fire hose. And the, and the reason we didn't, I, I didn't really talk much about it on my show is because I think it was the same week as the as something. I don't know. Like There's no good reason. It's just a fire hose. It's too much. Rather talk about things that are easy, and comfortable. And conspiratorial Clinton stuff. It's like, ah, well, whatever. So Those are four reasons why I think she always gets away with it. Now, there's a very simple thing to do here. And this is why I think Comey did not suggest charges against Clinton. I think it's because there was so much corruption. It was so deep, so far, so wide, so unfathomable that if he charged her, then it would be so damaging to our country, all the people who would get arrested and all the rest. It would create a constitutional crisis because it was all so deep. So instead of suggesting charges, he laid out in an unprecedented way as much as we, the people, needed to know in order to make the right decision and not elect her president. That's the only justification I can think for what Comey did. So we need to step up and make sure we we don't elect her. That's the best way to hold her accountable right now. I got a minute here. Let me read this quote here. Um, This is Thomas Paine, Common Sense. 1776, one of the pamphlets that inspired the revolution. This is a, There's a principle here that inflamed the passions of the colonists. This is a truth that is undeniable, or it was then. Today it's more based on what your last name is, but Thomas Paine wrote, But where, some say, is the king of America? I tell you, my friend, he reigns above and does not make havoc of mankind like the royal brute of Great Britain. May the world forever know that so far as we approve of monarchy, that in America, the law is king. For as in absolute governments, the king is law. So in free countries, the law ought to be king. In America, the law is king. No one's above it. I love that line. Hey, where's the king of America? Well, it's God, first of all. And he ain't nothing like the royal brute of Great Britain. But if you really want to know, the law is the king. Hmm, I don't know if that's true anymore. Now, Hillary's bad enough by any standard. But when you combine that kind of person and put them in a position that no longer has chains that bind them down from power, a position that's been fundamentally transformed over the years, not just these last seven, a position in a government that is far too powerful. That's just game on now with executive orders and executive interpretations. It's the recipe for trouble. And then you throw on top of that the 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 aspirations of corruption for the Clintons. I mean, Trump is, is arrogant. And, and I would say fame hungry but the Clintons are all those things and power hungry fame is fame is deceiving but searching for power can lead to evil but all you heard last week was how much they care about the poor right except for the poor Haitians you didn't hear anything about that Slater Radio on Twitter we'll talk about Hillary's speech next Mike Slater show the plays radio network spread the word
0: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: How are you? America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. So let's chat about Hillary's speech. Um, I'm going to judge it based on the same rubric that we've been judging every speech these last two weeks. Um, I've been, uh, lest you think I'm a you know, partisan hack here. We've said good things and bad things about Trump's speech. We've said many good things about different speeches given uh, in the Democratic Convention. Uh, But Hillary's was at best, and this is the best she can hope for, is forgettable. At best, it did not convince anyone. And this is at best. I don't think this is even true. But at best, it didn't convince anyone to not vote for her. But I'll be more honest here. I think it was terrible enough that it turned a lot of people off. But there's no way it convinced people to vote for her. There's no way there was anyone on the fence or certainly against her who was like, oh, that was great. I'm going to, like, that did not happen. And it was funny to watch afterwards. I watched every night of the convention on MSNBC just to see them fawn over her. And everyone was desperate to say something nice about it. It was really funny to watch, right? So people would say stuff like, well, it was the best I've ever seen her Like, well, or the most comfortable I've ever seen her. That's a pity compliment. It was objectively bad. Now, this is an important qualifier that we've talked about. I uh, talked about a couple months ago. There are skill sets that are necessary to be a good president. And there are skill sets that are necessary to be good at running for president. They used to be relatively close to each other, but now they don't resemble each other at all. The skill sets necessary to win the presidency are on the other side of the planet as the skill sets necessary to be a good president. The ability to give big speeches with soaring rhetoric in basketball arenas is a very nice skill set to have. It's all well and good. And by giving good speeches, I mean reading a teleprompter. It's not even the old school order skill set where you just used to get out there and talk. That's not that's not the skill set here. But, okay, reading a teleprompter in front of 30,000 people in a basketball arena, very good. But zero importance of being a president. So it's wildly unfair to judge a candidate for president based on a speech like this. And this applies to everyone. Because the whole thing is so foolish because no one, other people write their speeches. Earlier we talked about Sarah Hurwitz, who's been the speechwriter for Michelle Obama for the last seven and a half years. So people are like, oh, great speech by Michelle Obama. Like She didn't write it. She just got up there and read the teleprompter. Like, Yeah, she's good at reading a teleprompter. It's so weird. Like, like the country we live in, the culture we live in, what is going on? Maybe if they were giving their own thoughts that they wrote down, then there'd be some reason behind the charade. Right? And we, can listen, we can sit down and listen to what they really thought about certain things, but they don't even write the speeches. So what are we doing? Literally, someone is standing up there reading someone else's words off a teleprompter. What is the point of that? But this is the world we live in, and this is how we judge whether or not someone's going to make a good president. And this is the way it is. So if that's the way it is, a lot of people tuned in on Thursday night and saw someone who's very bad at that saw someone who's not good at giving a speech and in their mind, that means they're not a good president. She's just not likable at all. And I put that on Facebook during the speech and someone wrote back Slater. Since when did likability make a difference? Are you kidding me? Since always like the beginning of time that has made a difference. If you can dare, uh, may I suggest a, uh, experiment. Watch her speech again, just for a few minutes, just for like two minutes, with the sound off. Watch it with the sound off. We make judgments based on body language way more than what is said. It's not even close. And we make judgments way more on how something is said than what is said. So it's, it's the how it's said, like tone, and body language when saying it the actual words are about 10% of what we judge and make decisions on. It's all about looks and tone. And Hillary fails on those two accounts. And even if she had amazing words, it'd be hard to overcome that. But then, you know, she has terrible words. The things she says are bad too. So that's on top of it. But best case scenario, if she had amazing speech, the words were amazing. The tone of how she says it and, and what she does, her body language her posture when saying it, is literally 90%. This is true for everyone, not just her. And she's terrible at those two things. So, she's bad. Now, I look at that and I understand that giving a speech has nothing to do with being a good president. So I'm like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. But most Americans look at that and say, "Wow, she's terrible at that. So she's going to be a bad president." And again, before someone calls me a right-wing hack, I got a ton of emails these last this last week saying I'm never going to listen to you again because I complimented Michelle Obama's speech and Joe Biden's speech in different ways. As if I'm some sort of sellout for giving an honest assessment on their marketing presentations. (laughs) So I'm not below offering compliments where appropriate. But Hillary deserved none. I almost felt bad for her. I'm not even kidding. And I'll actually explain why I felt that in a second here. But she was put in a position that she couldn't win in. First of all, she followed up really great presenters, not orators. These aren't orators; These are presenters. Right this week, they were, they were really good. So she couldn't match that. And she knows she's not likable. And people booed throughout. Did you hear this? Every time the crowd chanted Hillary in awkward times, it wasn't because she said something great. It was because there were protesters who were booing or chanting WikiLeaks or no more war. So the, the crowd had to drown her out, drown them out. And that messed up her timing and her rhythm and then she raised her voice to a new tone that's hard to listen to. Michelle Obama didn't do that. Her tone's always great. Her body language is very relaxed and comfortable. It's only Hillary who just can't do it. So now anyway, I, I think I made my point. This This thing is essential to understand. People make snap judgments. When you go to a job interview... You may prepare all week to know everything there is to know about the company. It makes nearly no difference. People make judgments in less time than it takes to blink your eyes, and that's not an exaggeration. Now, I'm not saying you go into an interview blind, but it's, but how you look is is by far the main thing that's uh, that that the interviewer judges. Now, it could be snap judgments on a few things. First, it's snap judgments when you enter the room. It's snap judgments on how your voice sounds. It's snap judgment on the first question you ask. I mean, there's a bunch of different snap judgments. But really, it's just when you first look at a person. And I'm not exaggerating. In, In 2005, there was a study, I think it was Princeton students, were shown pictures of candidates in different congressional races across the country on a computer screen. And the two candidates would pop up, um, right They are they're against each other, right? And they would just flash up on the screen really fast. And the person was asked to judge who looked more competent. They just flashed up on the screen for like a second. Who looked more competent? They picked the winner 70% of the time. No, I actually lied. The pictures didn't flash on the screen for a second. They flashed on the screen for... Five one hundredths of a second. That's about how long it takes for a brain to make a judgment on a person. Five one hundredths of a second. So think about that. You're sitting in front of a computer screen and two pictures flash up, two people. And you're supposed to judge who's more competent for a congressional race? Yeah, they did it with 70% accuracy. That's pretty good. Better than flipping a coin. And that's when they knew nothing else about the candidates. Another experiment, people were given 5 100s of a second to judge the trustworthiness of someone. And those rankings, whatever they whatever they rated people as their trustworthiness after looking at it for 5 100s of a second, you can't even stop a stopwatch in 5 100s like, like that's that's 7 100s like bum, bum, like you can't do it. The people who looked at it that quickly gave the same ratings as the people who were given an unlimited amount of time. To judge the trustworthiness of someone. Meaning. The. People who were given unlimited time. It only took them five one hundredths of a second. (laughs) They they made their judgment in five one hundredths of a second. The other minute that they were staring. Was just. Whatever. It It was just nothing. It was. Justifying their opinion polishing it and perfecting it and finding other reasons why they uh, believe what they already made a judgment on in five, hundredths of a second now wild. So when people turned on the TV last night or two nights ago, they saw Hillary. That's all it took to make a decision. I don't like her. She'd be great. That's it. Oh, but how was her speech? Doesn't matter. Now, how do you judge what decision these people made? Well, you get a much better idea by, again, watching her speech with the sound off. Now, we're talking about Hillary Clinton. Most decisions have already been made 40%, it's, it's 40, 40, 20. This is the breakdown we always use. 40% 40% of the people are Republican. will never vote for her. 40% are uh, Democrat. will vote for her no matter what. It's the 20% that people need to reach. It's the 20% that don't care, don't matter. Or excuse me, they do matter. Don't care. Uh, don't pay attention. I got a tweet from someone, Stephen, who was in uh, a restaurant like on Wednesday night. And he said, Slater, I was at a restaurant. Three groups of people, three groups of people I overheard complained that their shows were canceled this week because of the Democratic convention. That's your 20%. So how do you reach those people, and how do you make know what staff judgment they're going to make? Well, that's what's going to determine the election. Slater Radio on Twitter, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network, spread the word.
0: Mike Slater.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: That makes sense about snap judgments. It's interesting. It's fascinating how we do that, and we all do it. It's how we read people. So Hillary can keep re, 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 re herself, but people don't like what they see any of those times. And I haven't seen any numbers flip. I don't know if maybe you can find something. I wouldn't be surprised if her poll numbers went down after her speech. I, I really, I really wouldn't. I mean, that, I don't know if that's ever happened. Probably not. They, everyone's going to, it gets a bump, right? So maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe she'll get a bump, you know, with a week's worth of TV coverage, but I don't know when Hillary, when uh, Barack Obama gives a speech, I think he gets the bump <laughs> right? or Michelle Obama gets the bump. I don't know. I don't know if that transfers over to Hillary. Cause I think people tuned in and said, well, I don't I like her even less than yesterday. I don't, So I wonder, I haven't seen any polling yet, but I'm sure we'll all see it soon. Did you see the, uh, the, the just gag worthy video voiced by Morgan Freeman? Oh my gosh. Which was written by, it was written by a sycophant for other sycophants. It was unbelievable. Like like the line, what is most striking about her, however, is her heart. What is that? Good night. Someone wrote on Twitter after the uh, the balloons dropped. They wrote Morgan Freeman. Look at her there. Hitting the balloons about. Smiling. Hugging her relatives. Exactly the way a human would. And that was the whole goal. To humanize her. And they did. But that's very different than making her more likable. Humanizing her. Just made her more pitiable. Does it make sense? Let me say it again, because this is important. So the whole goal of the week was to humanize Hillary, right? That's what Bill did by telling the stories about how they met in the 1,100 square foot house, and this, that, the other, and and that's why Barack Obama said different things about behind the scenes stories, about and and talked about how she's so good with kids and blah, blah blah. It was about it was to humanize her, and I think they did, but that didn't make her more likable. That's different. It made her pitiable. And then she gets up and gives a terrible speech. Now, in the past, before she was humanized, someone might say, wow, she's awful and deserves to be in jail. But I'll tell you, after an hour a week of telling stories about her and how she's a loving mom and a real person with a heart and a soul, now I heard the speech and I said, oh, she's an awful person and deserves to be in jail. That's it I mean, <laughs> didn't, didn't change that. It just I was like, Oh, kind of made me go like, Oh, uh, a little bad, for I guess. You, are you with the difference there? Like I don't like her anymore. It doesn't change anything. Just a little more like, Oh, what a shame. She should still go to jail. Like, yeah. But none of, none of what happened this week. I don't think it certainly didn't make me. I don't think it made anyone say, wow, I thought she was an awful person, but I was wrong. She's amazing. Did you see the video that led into her? I I contemplated playing it, but it's too tough to handle. And it's long too. It was brutal. The the, Obama said in the opening of it, he said, he said, there's a joy and a mirth that the public doesn't always see. (laughs) What? A joy and a mirth. That's a winning adjective for the electorate. Mirth. Oh, she's got such great mirth. What the heck does that mean? It's like it's like joy. It's like it's laughing and stuff. But mirth. Like, what do you use the word mirth for? And there was a line at the end. Morgan Freeman was talking about the picture that we've all seen where the president and, and her and military people and all the rest are watching the video of the raid that killed Bin Laden. You know the picture? And she has her hand over her face. And Morgan Freeman says, look at her face. Look at that face. I'm not even kidding. Look at that face. She's carrying the hope and the rage of the entire nation. What? What are you talking about? It's a written, written, to- like just total sycophant wrote that. And I did not anticipate all the 9-11 stuff for Hillary Clinton. Do you ever do you remember Hillary Clinton having really anything to do with 9-11 stuff? I don't remember that at all. And whenever Rudy, remember when Rudy ran for president? That would have been 2008? Yeah, 2008. So that was seven years after 9-11. And whenever he brought it up, people berated him. Oh, he's taking advantage of a tragedy. But Hillary spent a long time this week. Her people spent a long time this week talking about Hillary and nine 11 in the video. They had uh, one woman say she, I think her husband died or something. She held my hand a lot. Like she tried to soothe me. I get the point, but the, the whole thing was just way over the top. It was, I, th- I think people have a radar for schmaltzy. Don't you think, don't you think people have a schmaltzy radar? Anyway, one last point on snap judgments, and then we'll put this to bed. There was a um, study that would have people sit down in front of a computer and a man's face would pop up on the screen for two one-hundredths of a second, .02, which is the shortest time possible to judge a face. So it's as quick as possible, two one-hundredths of a second. It's like nothing. It's like, boop. That's, it, that's 2 one-hundredths of a second. And the goal was to judge if the man in the picture is gay. And people could make a judgment in that amount of time. Now, whether they were right or not, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. But boom, are they gay or not? Oh yeah, definitely gay. <laughs> like, what? How about this person? Boom. Uh, nope, not gay. Huh? That's how we make judgments. There's another study. They gave people five seconds to judge the success of a man in a picture and the man was either wearing a tailored suit or an untailored suit and the tailored suit men the suit that fit better were always deemed more successful so this is how we make decisions and nothing Hillary did on Thursday night screamed success or presidential or likable to the subconscious mind slater radio on twitter mike slater showed the blaze radio network spread the word
0: mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network
2: Slater, Slater Chris, there's one last uh, piece of advice. We'll put a bow uh, on something we talked about really in the second hour of the show on how to make an effective argument. It's not just the punch that you need to think about. We're, we're talking using a chess analogy or boxing or MMA analogy. Same thing with rhetoric and, and um, debate. It's not just the punch you need to think about. You got to think about what defense they're going to make, to that punch to your punch and also what their counter punch is going to be. So when you make that punch, you got to think about what they're going to do to block it and the counter punch. And then as you're punching, you got to think about your defense based on what you think they're going to do in response. And then because of that, what punch are you going to make again? That like, those are all the things you're thinking about when you make a punch, thinking a couple steps ahead. I believe Trump has given the Democrats a strong punch, but hasn't given out enough thought to what those counter punches are going to be. The line that ticked me off the most from Hillary was our military is a national treasure. No, 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 no. (laughs) Democrats do not get to brag on our military. Now, now, please hear me out. Of course, Democrats can be patriotic and support our troops and all the rest. But the Democratic Party recently has not been the party to get up and wave the flag and pound their chest about how great the military is. How did that happen? I watched MSNBC. I'll tell you in a second. I watched MSNBC all week and they commented on this yesterday. They said this is the new Democratic Party. This is Rachel Maddow saying it's the new democratic party with the patriotism and the iconography and the visuals. Rachel Maddow said, um, these are, uh, how'd she put it? These are things that the Democrat, they ref- re- 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 the Democrats are reflecting things that the Democrats always used to get nailed for not reflecting. Chris Hayes at MSNBC said he was at the convention for John Kerry, and there was a lot of patriotism and camouflage and all the rest there, but he said it all felt defensive when John Kerry was doing it. It was like an act. And this is an act, too. But it was easier to swallow this time. The Democrats embracing jingoistic patriotism and USA chants. How? Because Trump gave it to him. And this should be frustrating as heck to everyone. Hillary Clinton, the person who told our military to stand down three times in Benghazi, she gets to stand up there and say that the military is a national treasure? It's because when Trump says our military is degraded, he didn't, that's the punch. The obvious counterpunch is for Hillary to talk about how great the military is. What Trump should have said is our military is degraded, but here are all the great people in the military. And in spite of our leaders doing horrible things to them, they're still amazing, incredible and doing wonderful things, but we're going to make it even better. Like that's how you pitch that. That's the anticipating their counterpunch so that they don't even have a counterpunch to begin with. That's the one, two punch if you will. And Trump didn't do that. So Hillary took it, ran with it and said our military is a national treasure and the whole all the Democrats in the arena chant USA. That should be sickening to everyone. How frustrating. Final piece of advice. And it's for all of us, not just Donald Trump. It's so important to tap into frustration and anger. That's good. That's good. Gotta do it. Let me read this paragraph. This is from Charles Krauthammer. Uh, Trump's acceptance speech was roundly criticized for offering a dark dystopian vision of America. For all of its exaggeration, however, it reflected well the view from Fishtown, the fictional white working class town created statistically by social scientist Charles Murray in his 2012 study Coming Apart. It chronicled the economic, social, and spiritual disintegration of those left behind by globalization and economic transformation. Trump's capture of the resultant feelings of anxiety and abandonment, explains why he enjo- enjoys an astonishing 39-point advantage over Clinton among whites without a college degree. And by the way, most people in America don't have a college degree. So it's something like 70-80% of the country doesn't think we're going in the right direction. So, Trump taps into that. Better than anyone ever. But, but, you can't go so far that you're exposing yourself to being characterized as someone who hates America. The Democrats have always been the people who hate America. Not, you know what I mean? Don't really, but they're all, there are Democrats are always the people who are like, we're a racist, sexist country and everything needs to be changed and everything's horrible. Right? The Democrats are the people that we look at and say, well, why do you even live here anymore? It's the conservatives who love America, and that's flipped. See how frustrating that is? Now it's the Democrats who look at the conservatives and say, gosh, if America's so horrible, why don't you leave? That's not how it's supposed to be. And the only reason it's that way is because Trump's rhetoric tapped exclusively into the into the, America's doing bad and didn't include a dose of positivity. So to use this punching analogy, the punch is America's no longer great, but it exposed our chin to the Democrats' rebuttal of America's already amazing. And Michelle Obama, for the love of Pete, said America's the greatest country in the world. Are you kidding me? We can't go on anymore being the party of hating America. It can't even be perceived that way. I know you don't feel that way, but it's being mischaracterized that way. We can't even give them an inch of that. Because it's not true, and it's never a winning message. And listen, I'm not blind to the problems. Unemployment, schools, poverty. Gosh, if there's anyone who talks about these things, I mean, it's conservative radio hosts. That's right? what we do. We talk about things that are broken and solutions to fix it. So I'm well aware of the issues. But I just encourage you to don't let that blind you to the fact that America is the greatest country in the world. And you see what happens now if you don't admit it, not admit it, if you don't preach it loudly, and if you don't defend that territory, then the Democrat propaganda machine will come in and swoop it right away from you. And I'll be honest, I don't like, uh, I did not like the Republican response to President Obama a week or so ago, he told the story of how his uh, interns would come work at the white house and he said they would have anxiety about America and it's a bad country and our future is terrible and all this. And Obama would say, Whoa, 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 listen, kids, if you could choose to live anywhere in the world at any time in history, you would choose right now and in America because we're safer than ever before. We're more prosperous than ever before. We're healthier than ever before. And a lot of Republicans generally came back and attacked him and said, no, America's not prosperous. We're not safe. Things are terrible. Don't fall for that trap. Don't fall for that. We're not the negative people. We're not the negative people and they're not the positive, optimistic people who love America. I think the proper response to Obama's story is there. uh, Yeah, you know, we are the most prosperous country in the world, but we can do so much better. Yeah, we are the, you know, have incredible medical system. I mean, if if anyone had a heart, has a heart attack today, they'll probably survive. But 50 years ago, they would have died. So yeah, it's amazing, but we can do better. And here's how. Right? I mean, don't let them have the, don't let, don't let them put you in the trap of being negative about our country. The Dems have painted a, a fairy tale positive picture of the state of America where everything's unicorn and, unicorns and gumdrops and fantastic and stunning and awesome and perfect. So we need to paint not the opposite of that, but reality. Here are things where America is thriving, doing amazing. And it's things where people are free. And here's some major problems. And they happen to be things where government's most involved. That's an important distinction because (laughs) I'm going to live in a country where the people who use the military for social experiments and who cut the military and, and say the word corpse are the party of loving America and loving our military. No, 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 don't, don't, don't give that to them. Not even an inch. So when we say make America great again, don't let them mischaracterize that as saying America is not currently great. It's the government. That's horrible. The people are amazing and we want to get the government out of the way so that we can all reach our full potential. That's the distinction. It's easy. And if we do that, if Trump did that, and if we do that, then the left won't have any territory to take. That's all I'm saying. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word.
3: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Nine hundred thirty-three ninety-three. Mike
2: Slater is on read the story the other day July 20th was this woman's America Americaversary it's the day her and her family arrived from the Soviet Union in uh, 1978 and they celebrated every year and I think immigrants have wonderful perspectives so she tells her story about growing up poor and, and how fort- fortunate they were to uh, come to America find a job, and now the next generation, they're middle class. She was one when her family moved here. She says when she was growing up, they never went to Disney World. The idea for her parents to spend money on amusement park rides was just like out of this world. So for the first time in her life, now that she has kids, she went to Disney World. And she says the main emotion and thought that she had when she was walking around was, wow, there's a lot of rich people here. And she was adding up the price of tickets and food and planes and hotels. and Who knew there were so many rich people in America? But the point is, well, here she says, Disney's for all Americans. It's a rite of passage. And even if you've never been, it's hardly considered an outlandish thing to aspire to. Even though really it costs just as much as going to Paris or Barbados or something. (laughs) It's expensive, but people afford it. We're just super prosperous. So, Her point was she was uh, in line for It's a Small World. And the kid in line with his grandma was whining and complaining about life. And she said, I don't know what brought him to this point. To be among the luckiest people in the world, born in America, raised in freedom, wealthy enough to be at Disney World, and still feel put upon. Like he was waiting for something that was owed him to be delivered. So that's one kid. Then she told the story of going to Scotland with a group. And when they were there, they went around the room and introduced themselves. And one guy said, hi, I'm Eric. And I'm from, well, what it's called now is America. But I'm conscious of the fact that the land was stolen from the Native Americans. And it was once called something else. And I don't feel right using the language of the conquerors. And he went on and on. So this woman says these two people are two sides of the same coin. The first kid, no understanding of how fortunate he is. And the other guy, quote, born in America, raised in freedom, apologizing to strangers for things he had nothing to do with, feeling like he owes something to someone that requires him to make these virtue signaling speeches in situations that don't call for it. Here's why I bring this up. Progressives have always had the opinion that America is rotten and evil and full of injustices and wrongs. And we're the country of slavery and of the Trail of Tears. And we should strive to be like Switzerland with our foreign policy and Denmark with our welfare state. That's always been their motto. Let them own that. Let them stew in that. Let them be that party. But we're the group of people who believe that America is amazing. We're the party of overwhelming gratitude. Gratitude unlike that kid in line at Disneyland. We're the party that knows that America is the greatest country in the world, unlike that guy in Scotland. And our founding principles are perfect. So perfect that we should return to them. We're the people who know that we are so prosperous and we understand the responsibility that goes along with that helping others. We love entrepreneurs who want to make America even better. We love dreamers. We love doers. We love people who work with their hands. We're the people who love parades and baseball and Norman Rockwell Americana. And we know we're not perfect. but We strive for perfection every day. And in the meantime, I'm not going to spiral in shame or be ashamed of our country. And I'll proudly say that America is the greatest country in the world. And we're going to win all the gold medals in two weeks. (laughs) And I fear that this is Switching. It's weird. Republicans are going to be pitched as people who don't like America. And progressives are the patriotic people. Watch out for that. Because the truth is, they can't steal that mantle from us. We can only give it to them. So don't. Slater Radio on Twitter, and we can hang out all week on the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. I hate we only get one week together, but... We can hang out all week long on our Facebook page. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. We'll see you next week. Mike Slater Show, spread the word. I want to see you be brave.
3: You're listening to Mike Slater.
0: Part of the next generation of talk radio.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network.